Are you ready for the word this morning? Yes. yes. How long have you been married, David and Emma? Three months. Experts. Experts. I was, uh, I was told after I said 12 years of marriage, Ross Freeman said I'm still on my pee plates. So you guys must be like on your L's or not even that. <laughs> not even on your L's yet. That's good. That's good. The written test, yeah, you've got to do the written test. That's good. Still studying. Are you ready for the word? Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for Stephen and Angie and Heather and Les, 50 years. Wow, that's really cool. Father, may you give them many, many more years together where they can serve you and honor you, God. Father, thank you for Heather and the encouragement that she is to all of us. She's a woman of faith. And God, she encourages us in our faith to trust you more and believe you more. And Father, as we come to your word now, that you would speak to me, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us. And God, this won't be just another sermon, but God, you'll be moving powerfully in our lives. And God, you'll bring transformation to the way that we live in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, I want to start by telling you a story about when I was a young man, still a very young man, but when I was a real young man, about 10, I used to play cricket. Now, I wasn't very good at cricket. My high score as a cricketer was 13 runs. That was my high score as a total. Not every game, but that was a 13 altogether in one innings, yeah? It wasn't very good. And, and we had a coach, and, and he wasn't one of the dads. He must have just loved cricket and loved kids because um, he was a wonderful man. Mr. Abrook, his name was. He is, I'm assuming, he's still alive. And, and the thing about our cricket team is that we weren't very good. We had some poor players, and then we had some pretty poor players, and we had some pretty poor players. That was pretty much our team. And we lost pretty much every single game. But the thing about Mr. Abrook is that he gave everyone a go equally. If you didn't bat very good, that was okay. You still got to bat. Well, everyone gets to bat, don't they, in cricket? But if, if you didn't bowl very well, well, guess what? You still got to bowl because Mr. Abrook gave everyone a go, and he treated people well. And that's what we're in at the moment, friends. We're in this series of looking at forward together. And we were looking at what does it mean for us to move forward in our marriages, in our businesses, in our ministries, in our families, in our life. And we said from Philippians chapter 2, there's two keys to, live, to moving forward together. We need to have the same vision and we need to treat people well, just like Mr. Abrook did to us as we were kids at cricket. Our, um, our main text is from Philippians chapter 2. And I want to take you there again today, and I want to read you from verse 3. It's in blue on the screen. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to spend some time in this passage, so you might want to look it up. In verse 3, this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Wow. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests, to the interests of others. Amazing passage. And what I want to do this morning, I want to start there, but then go on to verse five, and then look, and then go to verse eleven, and pull that scripture apart a bit, and and look at what does it mean for us to treat people well? Because what we have so far is the apostle Paul has given the church in Philippi the theory. In the black, he talks about the vision stuff. Then in verse 3, he says, how to treat people well. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He, he gives us a theory, but, 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 but then he gives us the most wonderful example 
of someone who treated people well, someone who laid down their life for the benefit of others. And the example that he gives is none other than Jesus. Look at verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or have the same attitude, same mindset, same attitude as Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to give us the example of how Jesus did that. How Jesus treated, from verse 3 and verse 4 here, how he treated people well. He says, look at Jesus, use him as your example. And what we read is from verse um, 6 to 11. It's most probably a song that was most probably sung at the time of Jesus that Paul heard. And he said, that's cool. And he added it in his letter. God inspired, no doubt. And this is what it says in verse 6 about Jesus. Who? And remember, Paul says he wants you to have the same attitude as Jesus, the same mindset. Live the way Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived. Who? Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. I really like that. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, being, by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I coach an under-10 soccer team, and we've got a number of kids who it's their first year of soccer, and as a result, their skill isn't so great. And then we've got some kids who are average players and they've played for a couple of years and that's about it. I haven't got any outstanding players. That's about it. Now, if I wanted to win every game, I would get all my best players, or my average players, and uh, put them on the field every week and get all the ones that aren't so good and stick them on the bench and only use them when I had to. But friends, that's not my attitude. It's not about winning when you're playing under 10s. It's about learning skills and giving everyone a go. And about treating every kid really, really well. So what I do, I think back to Mr. Abrook, my cricket coach when I was a kid. And I think, how did he treat people? How did he treat us as kids? And he treated us very well by giving everyone a go. So now I follow his example. And my kids, they all get a go pretty much equally. doesn't matter how long you've been playing for. You get the same amount of time on the park. And we lose most games. <laughs> I, uh, we uh, lost 6-0 yesterday. And I, and I came home and I said to Aiden, Aiden, you know how England lost to Iceland and then the coach resigned? Maybe I should resign from being your coach. That's what I said to Aiden like yesterday. He goes, No, Dad, don't do that. I'm not a nice boy. Um, why am I, that's right. There's a reason I'm telling you this story. That's about sport, yeah? And me following an example of a man. You know, if we're going to look at life, and if we're going to look at the fullness of life and how we're going to treat people well, what better example for us to look at than Jesus? So friends, as we look at this thing about treating people well, let's, as, as, as the Apostle Paul encourages us, let's look at Jesus because he actually lived, lived a life where he treated people well. Let's learn from him. Let's see what he did and let's implement that in our lives. And what I want to do this morning is uh, go through each verse. 
and I want to give you some thoughts on each verse, and then we're going to make it really practical about how we can live it out. So in verse 6 in blue, it says about Jesus, who, being in very nature God or in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In the beginning, it talks about Jesus who being in very nature God or in the form of God, friends. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In the the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God, meaning... And the imagery, is, it's like you get two coins, two 20-cent coins, with the same date. They feel they, they're feel the same weight. They look the same. They've got the same date on them, but yet they're separate coins. And, 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 and what the writer of Hebrews says is that when you look at God and you look at Jesus, they're the same. Obviously, they're different persons when the Godhead and no example is perfect. But if you want to know what, who, who, who God is like, look at Jesus. For he is God in flesh. There's an amazing passage in Colossians chapter 1 that says this. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. For he is God in flesh. It says the firstborn over all creation. That doesn't mean that Jesus was born as in the, the, the father created the son. No, the firstborn is about the place in the family. And it's about supremacy. It's saying that Jesus is supreme and he's over all creation. In verse 16, it says, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Everyone say all things. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rules, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. I love that. We are here for him. He made us for him. It's beautiful. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, which is his church. He is the beginning and the first one to rise from the dead, so that in everything he might have his supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, in this passage it says that Jesus, who is in the very form of God, did not consider equality with something with God something to be taken to his advantage. You know, Jesus talk about splendid, talk about magnificent, talk about all powerful, talk about King of Kings, Lord of Lords, all authority. Think about Jesus. Incredible. There are no words indescribable as Kath led us this morning about the kids. He's indescribable. He's so amazing. And you know what? Jesus could have came to earth displaying all that glory, the magnificence. You know that, that, that story? I think it's seven, I don't know where it is. The, the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus goes up the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and, and he is transfigured before them. I've got a hunch in that, 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 that Jesus takes on the glory that he had before he came to earth, the, 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 the shining brightness of who he is. Now, if Jesus came to earth like that, shining brightly like he had on the Mount of Transfiguration, with his omnipresence and his omnipotence and all those omni words which talks about how wonderful he is and he displayed his magnificence people would have bowed down to him and worshipped him because once you see him like it says in this verse every knee will bow because of his greatness people would naturally worship him for who he is and you know what that would have been right 
If that happened, that would have been good. For Jesus deserves all that. But friends, it says that Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come for his own advantage that, that, that all these people, when he turned up on earth, shining forth his glory, would, would bow down and worship him. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. See, it would have been perfectly fine for Jesus to come and display his glory in all his fullness coming as a man to earth. But the problem with that, it would have wrecked his mission. It would have wrecked the mission of rescuing humanity. This most wonderful God, all-powerful, creator of all things, a sustainer, chose to come to earth as a baby, as a man. It says in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to death, even death, even death on a cross. This most magnificent, indescribable God chose to become man. Now that doesn't mean he was no longer God. Now that's, this is very important. He comes to earth as both fully God. And fully man, the God-man, which separates us from other groups that call themselves Christians. I'm not talking about Baptists and Anglicans. I'm talking about JWs and people like that. They don't believe Jesus is God. Friends, we believe Jesus is God because if he wasn't God, well, how could he possibly save us? He would have had a sinful nature like every other man. Anyway, another point. But this, but this, this, this most wonderful, indescribable God comes to earth and chooses to put off some of the magnificence of being God. Although he's fully God, he puts off some of that all-knowing and all-powerful. And he's a man relying on the Spirit, although he's fully God in that situation. And And the reason he did that was for our benefit. In this passage in verse 8, it says that he was obedient, obedient to death, obedient to his father even to death on a cross. Now, when they crucified someone, it was the worst of the worst. It was the worst. It was the worst way to die. It was about excruciating pain. You died through suffocation. But they also did it to humiliate you. You know when you see pictures of Jesus and he has a little cloth in front of his privates? In reality, no cloth. So they would hang them there, starkers, for people to walk past and laugh at and point at. The most highest, glorious, king of kings, indescribable God becomes man. And not only does he lower himself to become man, he becomes the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the low to be crucified for you and for me. talked about treating us well. He laid down his life for the benefit of me, for Chris, for Rick, for Grace, for Dan, for Angela, for Nev and Julie. He, he, he did that. He did that for us. And, and it's in the cross that Jesus takes on so much. In here in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God made him who had no sin... No sin, Jesus, no sin. Fully God. No sin nature. So that 
to, oh, so I missed a bit. That's the important bit. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The guy who had no sin hung on that cross, and then God takes the sin of the world and puts it on Jesus. Why? So that we might become the righteousness or right in God's sight. The righteousness of God. Where, so God looks us and sees us as right. Why? Because our sin is forgiven. Our sin is dealt with. Am I too loud, Martin? No. Okay, what am I looking at? I'm looking at a TV screen. Have a look at that, everyone. It's really cool. It means, but my, my wife said to me during the service, she said, Nathan, when you're pointing at words, don't point that way. Because everyone's like, what are you pointing at? So that's something I need to practice. Look at that up there, yeah? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, when, when, I, when I Jesus died on the cross, he, he I did a few things for me and a few things for you. He, 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 he took our wrongdoing, our sin, where, we've, where we missed the mark, the word hamatia, missed the mark, fallen short. Jesus takes that on, that on himself. In his death, he takes God's anger that was on me upon himself. Do you know this morning that if uh, you don't follow, if, if, if you're not a Christian this morning, God's angry with you. That's what the Bible says. If you're not a Christian this morning, God's angry with you because of your sin. And rightly so, because you've rejected him, you've, you've, you've rejected the way he wants you to live. He's the creator, he's the boss. He's angry with you, but then, and he was angry with me, but... But, 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 but when we come to Jesus and we ask him to forgive our sin, we, we are put our trust in him. God's anger is no longer put on me. His anger is put on Jesus and was put on Jesus. And the Bible talks about God's anger being appeased. It's no longer on me because it was dealt with on Jesus. It's through his death that my relationship with God that was broken because I couldn't approach God because of my sin, because Jesus took my sin, my relationship with God can be restored. And the, and the death sentence that was on my life, the, the, uh, the uh, eternal death, the, the, the uh, death that the Bible talks about hell in eternity that was, that was on me due to my sin, Jesus dealt with that on the cross. He took the death sentence. He died for me. He died in my place. He took the punishment that I deserve for my sin upon him so that I can live forever with God. And sure, this is going to die, but my soul and spirit live on forever and be renewed and you get, get new bodies. Maybe a taller one. You're taller. Mother. Who said that? Angela. Do you want a taller one as well? I want a taller one as well. <laughs> Friends, Jesus chose me over himself. Jesus chose you, Stephen, and your salvation. He, he, he gave his life for you, Stephen. Friends, Jesus laid his life down for the benefit of others. Jesus laid his life down for the benefit of others. Do you know that this morning? Have you accepted Jesus this morning? It's there, it's available, it's free. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you for your sin. Follow him all your days. And the Apostle Paul says, have the same attitude 
or have the same mindset of Jesus who laid down his life for the benefit of others. So friends, here's where the rubber hits the road for us. If we're going to treat people well, God's calling us to lay down my life, lay down your life for the benefit of others. And that's what he says in the theory in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's there. Have you heard of a man called Maximilian Colby? Has anyone heard of him? Let me tell you about Maximilian Colby. Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish priest, a Polish priest who was prisoner number 16770 in Auschwitz. The death camp Auschwitz became the killing center during World War II where the largest number of European Jews were murdered by the Nazis. When a prisoner escaped from the camp, the Nazis selected 10 others to be killed by starvation in reprisal for the escape. One of, the ten, um, one of the ten selected to die, a guy named Francisquez Gajonis something. What is calling Francisquez? He cried out, and I'm not going to say it in the way that he would have, but you can imagine, my wife, my children, I will never see them again. At this, Maximilian Colby stepped forward and asked to die in his place. His request was granted, and he died on the 14th of August, 1941. Maximilian Colby took it seriously. He laid down his life for the benefit of others. But friends, how do we, how do we make that real for us? We hear those stories and go, wow, that is amazing and so out there. Like, How often do we ask to take a bullet for someone? Hopefully never. How do we get that lay down your life for the benefit of others? And Jesus died on a cross. And this guy, Maxim, that, this guy, which is this guy, isn't it? Because of the screen. This guy died on a, gave his life for the sake of another prisoner. How do we make that really practical and, and really on the ground for us? Well, I'm going to try and do that this morning. And I want to talk to us in, 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 a, in a few areas. The first, if we're going to lay down our life for the benefit of others, I want to talk to parents to begin with. You know, if you're a parent, you're called to lay down your life for the benefit of your children. Believe it or not, parents, your kids aren't there to make your life better. Although they do, although they do, and I'm, talk- I'm not talking about adult children now, I'm talking about like up to the age of 18, little kids, kids, not little, some of them are, most of them are bigger than me, hey. Um, talking about children. Parents, we're called to parent our children for what is best for them. Now, best for them doesn't mean doing what they want, but you making decisions that are going to help them be all that God wants them to be. And to lay down our life for them means that we need to give up stuff that makes us happy. Now, sometimes we, you might have a hobby or, or, a, or a certain sort of lifestyle, and that's good, and we should have hobbies, and, and it's good to have a great lifestyle, but sometimes you have to say no to some of that in order to care for and parent our children. Definitely a financial decision, isn't it? Parenting kids. And it's not spending your finances on you, but rather spending it on them. How do you spend your time? You can watch the football all the time, or you can sit down and connect with your children at a deep level. Parents, we're, we're responsible for the emotional, for the physical, 
for the spiritual. Is there any others? Emotional, spiritual, physical, mental, well-being of our children. And it means that we need to say no to some things in order to say yes to focus on the health of the children that the Lord has given us. We need to lay down our lives. We need to lay down our agenda. We need to say no to things in order to focus on their well-being and their best. I shared a story, this story at the 11 o'clock service last week. So if you're here, I'm sorry. Many of you weren't. Um, I was at the beach a couple of weeks ago doing my exercises on a Friday. And I just finished and I started doing stretches on a table. And Oh, that's a bad stretch. That's a bit tight today. And as I was stretching, I overheard, I overheard a conversation between a man and a woman. And it was obvious they, they, they weren't married because they were having this... How, how many kids do you have conversation? And, and the lady shared, I have this many kids. And then the man shared, he goes, I've got one kid and one's enough. One kid is so hard. You know, if you want to go buy, this is what he said, if you want to go buy a loaf of bread at the shops, you know what I need to do? I've got to put the kid in the car. I've got to take a change of clothes. got to get the nappy bag. I've got to take the pram. I've got to make sure there's a toy. I've got to make sure there's water. I've got to do all these things just to go to the shops so that we can get bread. This kid has changed my life. I can't live the way that I want to anymore because of this kid that's in my world. And he went on to say how horrible his life is. My first thought was, well, you're not very thankful for the kid that you've got, which is a huge blessing. And the second thing is, you're making it about you. Where the parent, you need to go, you need to make it about your kid and how you can lay down your stuff to bring this kid up to know Christ. Parents, lay down your life for the sake of your children. The second group, I want to talk to the husbands, David Odgers, Stephen, for you, definitely for you. This is definitely for you. No, no, but, but you're, my, you're going to be my brother-in-law, and it's very important that you look after my little sister. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? I just got to step up with all the ladies in the church. That's good. Um, husbands, you are called to be the head of your home. Ken Woolley did an outstanding message on this a couple of weeks ago, and we did a life group resources, resource about the whole submission thing. And it's not about, men, you're better than women, or you're better than children. It's not about that. You're all equal. But God gives roles. He gives roles. And men, it's your, Leslie, it's your role to lead your wife and your family really well. Now, that doesn't mean... As the head of the house, you become a big, fat, lazy bum and sit on the couch and bring it to me, bring it to me. That, that doesn't mean that. Actually, it means the total opposite of that. Where, where you're called to lay down your life, to lay down your agenda, to lay down your wants, to lay down the things that make you happy in order to serve your wife and to serve your children. Now, I should say that, man, it's important to have hobbies. You've got to do that. You've got to have your men thing. It's important. Otherwise, we go cuckoos, yeah? It's important that you have a day off, that you like, you work five days and you have days off with your family. It's, it's important that you look after yourself. But when that looking after the, yourself and the hobbies, the, the, uh, the uh, time and the finance involved with that gets bigger and bigger and bigger at the extent of looking after your wife and honouring her and protecting her and creating a safe environment and doing all the things that you need to do, do, need to do with friends, there's a problem. Men, husbands, you're called to create a safe environment for your family. You're called to protect them. You are, you are called to nurture them. You know, in, in families, it's usually the women take on the emotional care of the family. Well, actually, men 
You need to take that responsibility on. Also around the spiritual responsibility. Men, it's your responsibility to train your children in the way they should go. Usually the women do that really, really well, but men, you're called to do that. Men, look at the way that you're currently living. Are you laying your life down for the sake of your wife? Are you putting her interests above your own? That's a massive challenge for me. I'm working on that. Third group I want to talk to you about, if you're a leader, maybe you're a youth leader, like Stephen, he's a youth leader. Actually, Stephen's a leader. Stephen now leads the youth leadership team, so my next point's more about you. Gracie, I saw you, you're a youth leader, and you're a responsibility for the, for the young people that you look after. Maybe you're a children's leader. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a nurse, and you're caring for patients. You can put that in whatever your context is, that you are responsible for, 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 for a group of people. Now, where it can turn into is you can get to that place where you go, well, now I'm a leader, now I'm a nurse, now I'm a teacher, now I've made it. Now I can start to boss people around. Now people are going to pat me on the back and, and uh, give me the respect that I need and, 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 and the respect that I deserve. And it can easily become about the leader and about how good they are. But friends, as a leader, your task is to lay down your life for the people that you're leading. How do you serve the youth group kids? And Grace, as you become a teacher, how do you serve your kids in your classroom? For Diane, as a nurse, what does it mean for you to lay down your life to serve your patients? And patience literally is patience with lots of patience, isn't it? As you're an influencer, the people you influence, what does it mean for you to lay down your life for them? And it goes into the next point and the final one for today is around if you're a team leader, like Stephen leads a team of leaders or, an, or, or you're an employer. You know, as an employer, you, people's livelihoods, their wages, their home loans, you're paying them. And as a team leader, you're there to encourage a team. But again, it can easily become about, well, I'm the boss now. I'm the employer. You're going to do what I say and you're going to do it the way I tell you to do it. And you're there to make my job easier, which is partly true because that's why you have a team to help what you do, what the things you've got to do. You're there to give me pats on the back. You're there to give me the respect. It becomes about me. But as a leader, as a team leader, we're there to lay in our life for the benefit of our team. You know, we, we, we usually see this picture as a leadership structure where the leader's at the top and they delegate down. And, 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 that's, and that's a healthy structure, and we need to do that as things expand. And we've got that as a church, as things extend. But, but in this picture, it can easily become about the guy at the top or the woman at the top, where it's all about them and about their agenda and everyone making them happy and giving them respect, and that person get a big ego. I love this picture, where the leader is there going, actually, I'm here to serve you guys and help you do your job really, really well. And as a team leader, you can get alongside your team and say, how can I support you in what you're doing? How can I make your job easier? Have you got a boss like that that comes alongside you and says, how can I make your job easier? I have a great staff and a number of key ministry leaders who are volunteers. And one of the questions I ask them, and a couple of them are here, I've got to be careful, I definitely do this. Kathy, you can tell if it's true, is, hey, how can I help you? Do I do that? How do I help you? Because as the... As the as the leader here at the bottom, I'm there to support, I'm there to serve, I'm there to lay down my life for the people that I'm leading. 
Friends, if you want to treat people well this morning, we need to lay down our life for the benefit of others. Imagine what your family would look like if mums and dads, you laid down your life more deliberately for your children. Imagine men, married couples, what it would look like if the husband was more deliberate in laying his life down for his wife. And the reverse true as well. As a leader, as a, as a soccer coach, as a teacher, as a nurse, as a youth leader, as a children's leader, as a president of a soccer club or a secretary of a social club, if you made it about the people that you're serving and not about you. Imagine if your employer was all about equipping and encouraging and supporting you, you in, in, in your role. Imagine the difference that would make in your workplace. Life would be different, wouldn't it? You know, that, that, that passage doesn't finish there about Jesus' death. It goes on in verse 9 to say, Therefore, and whenever you read a therefore in the scriptures, you ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's there because of what's in front of it. The, the most indescribable, magnificent God, who is Jesus, the highest place came to earth and then lowered and lowered and lowered to the lowest place, dying on the cross, total humiliation, taking the sin upon himself, the wrath of God, the punishment that I, re- that, that, that I deserved upon himself. Because of his obedience to his Father, because he treated people well, because he was willing to lay down his life for the benefit of others. You know what God did? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gave the Father gave Jesus a great reward. A great reward in eternity. Now, I was looking at the pictures of heaven. I went through Google and went, that looks like heaven to me. Now, it's mostly nothing like that, but I go, that looks pretty cool. And you know, so don't, that's not what heaven looks like, okay? But just, uh, it makes me feel good, yeah? Lots of fishing there. Lots of fish. Teeming, teeming, fish teeming like in Genesis chapter 1. Because of his obedience, because of his, he humbled himself, because he treated people well, Jesus got a great reward. A great reward that he deserved in heaven. And friends, the same is true for us. Now be careful here because I need to hear me clearly. If you, if you lay down your life for the benefit of others, there is reward in heaven. Now, I need to say very clearly that we're not saved by treating people well because None of us do it perfectly. And if we were saved by treating, by, by, by treating people well or laying down our life for the benefit of others, none of us would get there because we'd all stuff it up and we'd all fail. We're only saved through the death and the resurrection of Jesus by coming to him in faith, by, by saying, Jesus, I've stuffed up. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. But once you're in, once you're a Christian and you're heading to heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about rewards in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about rewards in heaven. People who are Christians, only Christians go to heaven. Christians who, 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 who live in the way that God wants them to live, you are rewarded. And friends, if you lay down your life for the benefit of others, you will be rewarded in heaven. You may not be rewarded on earth. 
Jesus was definitely not rewarded on earth. He laid down his life for the benefit of others and it led to his death. It was only as God rose him up and seated him was he rewarded. And friends, that might be your story today. You may be laying down your life for the benefit of others. I hear what Grace does. You're Grace, you're an amazing person. As I get to know you, you know what? Um, Mum and dad work shift work and Grace takes on some of the responsibility of the little kids in the house and outstanding woman of God. Parents, amen? Outstanding. And she's laying her life down and no doubt she gives up stuff to make that happen. And, and I'm sure you see some of the benefits. Well, hopefully you do. See some of the benefits as the kids are growing and becoming all that God wants them to be. And the reality is, friends, that you can lay your life down and sometimes you will see the reward. You will see lives transformed. People might even pat you on the back. But sometimes when you do that, you're going to be trampled on. You give and you give and you give and you get nothing back. And people do not say thank you. And people do not respect you. And they actually treat you, treat you poorly and take advantage of you. But take heart, for there is a reward in heaven. You will be rewarded in heaven for your steadfastness, for your obedience to God as you lay down your life for the benefit of others. God has great rewards for us. And even if we don't see it on earth, even if we don't see it on earth, There is a reward in heaven for you. So my encouragement for you is to keep going. Keep laying down your life. Keep honoring people. Keep putting your wife's interests above your own. Lay down your life for the sake of your children. If you have an influence, if you're a role of influence, the people that you're influencing, lay down your life for them. If you're a leader of a team, lay down your life for your team. Be all that God wants you to be, friends, as we finish this morning. I invite the worship team to come. Come now, Kath, bring your team. Come and stand at the front. And if you'd like some prayer this morning around laying down your life for the sake of others, or if you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus, if Jesus hasn't taken your sin from you yet, you're still carrying it, I'm going to stand here. Please come and stand with me and I'll lead you in a prayer to commit your life to Jesus. Friends, this is not some sort of a joke. Life and death. Is, is about Jesus and, and committing your life or not committing your life to him. It's life and death. But friends, if you'd like some prayer around how you're treating your, how, how you're treating your kids or husband and wife relationship or the, or the people you're leading or you're a team leader and you want to lay down your life for the benefit of others, we're going to pray. These guys are going to pray with you. They're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to ask God to, do it, to empower you with his spirit to help you do the thing that God wants you to do. Amen? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the example of Jesus who laid down his life for the benefit of others. God, what a wonderful example. And Paul says for us to have the same attitude, the same mindset as him. Oh, Jesus, help us. We fall so short. Jesus, forgive us when we fall short. Forgive us, God. Transform us, God. Help us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like prayer this morning, come forward for prayer. Otherwise, be released. Have an incredible week. Get along to Hillsong one night. You'll be greatly encouraged.